0: Hello beautiful people, welcome to the podcast, Articulating, a bi-weekly podcast where we will center and continue to cultivate the stories of Black and Brown people who are negotiating independent school culture and where they go from here. My name is Gina Parker Collins. I am the mom of two independent school scholars and founder of Resources in Independent School Education, better known as RISE. And I'm coming to you from somewhere in my house in New York.
1: Ooh, yes, and my name is Sam Osborne. I'm an independent school alum, RISE volunteer, and creative. I was previously a New York City fundraiser living in Brooklyn, and now I am pursuing my MBA at the Wharton School of Business. And we're here to talk about the challenges, celebrate the wins, and introduce you to some really great folks you need to know about. For all things articulating, you can follow us on Instagram, at artic.ulating. Thank you for listening. If today's
0: your first episode, You're jumping in on the second part of my conversation with educator and indie School parent, Dr. Marta Effinger Critchlow. Last episode, we chatted about curricular responsibility as it pertained to teaching works by and for people of color. Today, we observe the role of the parent in advocating for their children in these situations. What gets you up in the morning, Marta?
2: Oh my goodness! There's so many things. Uh, I definitely recognize that that my child gets me up in the morning because if you think about what's happened the day before, and if something has annoyed you, <laughs> you know you need that inspiration, and that might be a lot of weight to put on uh, uh, your child. But I think my daughter gets me up in the morning, my ancestors, my mother, you know, who's passed away and her sisters and all of these other folks who made a way so that I could even be here and breathe today. You know, there's so many things, but I think the, the, the child here now and all of those who came before us so that we could even Have a conversation (laughs) this morning. Those are the things I realized, you know, also art, we take it for granted. Art gets me up in the morning. A song, a good song, a soulful song, (laughs) it can turn your entire spirit around. Uh, You know, and I used to think about this when when I would hear music playing in the house that I grew up in, in D.C., and my my grandmother and them would listen to the radio. So I grew up on the radio. Like, it, it would be these voices who would wake you up. But then it was the song. It was the music that they played. And then I grew up in an intergenerational household with all of these, these older folks and these younger folks. But it was this sound. And then someone would... Hmm, that kind of thing. (laughs) So I realized that that is me today. (laughs) That is me today. You know, we think about, oh, we just, we always have music, but music gets me up in the morning and also ultimately my faith in God. I mean, I'm gonna be transparent about that. Understanding that there is a power greater than myself, greater than all of these things I just described. That's what gets me up in the morning.
0: Amen. I've, I've, I've started to hum, too. Mm. I've in an intergenerational <laughs> household and I find myself. Mm. Monica, as an interdisciplinary artist and educator in theater, film and literature with a mission, I might add to fuse social issues, culture, and history all together. I have a big question for you
2: okay. as a
0: parent. How did you then arrive in an independent
2: school? Well, there are a few things. Bring it back home, Marta. So let me just say, I did not grow up in New York City. My husband and I did not grow up in New York City. And so, you know, when you're having a child, you're not thinking about, okay, <laughs> make sure by the time there are three or four that you start thinking about this. But- um, I had this, this mentor, uh, Dean Jay, who, you know, when, when I became pregnant, <laughs> she was like, listen, when that child comes, you need to do this. She's, she's from Brooklyn, and all of her sons are much older now, and she said, this is what you're going to do part of me was like, uh, can you get out of my business? <laughs> but in actual, I sat there and I listened and she talked about the independent school structure here in New York City. So that's, I have to give her credit for just pulling my coattail. Uh, and then I saw this documentary and I said, oh, this is that world. Um, but we started the process And as I began to go on the visits and get the fancy materials emailed and sent to us, I came back to what do we want for our family and what do we want for ourselves? And I think for me, it was, for both of us, it was, okay, we want an intimate space because we're in this large city. We want this intimate space and intimate is not just about how many children are in the school, but intimate means for me that you know her name that you see her. um, And she is visible to you in so many different ways um and then also we wanted. A Community, I mean we wanted a Community, we have so many different communities, it is not we knew that it was not going to be the only community. And I think that we can talk about that a little bit more, but we knew it was going to be a critical community for not just our child, but for the two of us. And so, okay, we're going to be here often. (laughs) So. That's for sure. You know, what does that look like and what do we need? But also I think, um, I'll talk about curriculum in a minute, I thought about how did it make me feel when I walked in the the door of a a school, you know, when I walked in alone or when my husband walked in or when when my daughter walked into the school for her visits, because I pay attention it's 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 you know tapping into all of those senses. Um, How are people speaking to you how uh, it's nice and shiny and new. And the setting looks beautiful and that's great. And the lighting is great. And there's art all around the walls. All of those things, the resources are incredible. And, but we can't simply look at that. We have to look at how people are treating one another. How are they speaking to the children when they don't think the visitors are looking? And so those are, that's my mother in them. that's, That's them like, what are people doing when you are not looking, when they think that you're not looking? And then also uh, the curriculum. Uh, As an interdisciplinary artist and educator and I hope thinker, how is that presented in the curriculum? I mean, I wanted an interdisciplinary education for, for her. And that means, you know, how are you going to help her help her think about multiple questions multiple topics themes all at one t- at one time
0: what's you know, the because-
2: responsibility
0: what's the responsibility marta uh, marta of um of parents when it comes to uh, curriculum even before you get to the classroom you know you think of there's curriculum inside the classroom but then there's the curriculum that we teach at home right um, the what the information that we give our children about their history uh, in preparation for a classroom that will probably fall short of, of giving the full story so what can parents do to hold themselves accountable mm. for for providing that because we are the first teachers right for presenting yes. um the full story to our children and then also holding our schools accountable how do we do that and do it how do we partner in doing that so so let me just say
2: uh, i always believe that you know Going to school is only one part of the experience. It's it's a valuable part of the experience. So I heard someone say the other day, and I will not say where I heard it. Um, <laughs> you know, they they were saying that it, they made it sound as if they were the be all, and and not relation in relation to my daughter's school. This is this is another kind of meeting that I heard someone say that make it sound. As if they were the be all and end all to to a group of of people, and and I find that to be arrogant. Um, and so I never look at one space as the space that's going to give my daughter, our daughter, every single thing. I mean, and understanding that at the outset is extremely important. And so, yeah, like you said, we are the first educators. For me, again, you know, I think the personal narratives are also important. Like those are stories that are part of who we are in our fabric and in telling it, and telling it and not keeping it bottled up in here, then we also, help to help our children to understand where they come from who they are and why we are going through all of this so that we can make a way for them i mean that's
0: that's like the personal story um oh yeah well in addition to the books and the art um and what you discuss in your home is extremely important it prepares our children to even uh it's
2: like a buffer it's a buffer, it's a armor, it's a, this is the way you survive, this is the way you progress. These are all the things to get you prepared before you go beyond this door. Yes. And I think that we need to continue to, to value that, to value that. I mean, I say that that is who I am, that it. it you know, the personal to some degree, it always inspires and it shapes the other work that I, that I do, the artistic projects, all of it, it shapes it because, you know, I learned a while ago that we cannot simply look at the text as the only story, valued story for Black people, because a lot of the times we, you know, you, it's shared word of mouth. Just because it's not written down doesn't mean that it's not valuable. My mm-hmm. grandfather's story is not in a book, But if I don't tell it, if I don't tell it, if I don't share it with my daughter, then she does not understand where she comes from. And then the hope, the hope, the prayer, Gina, is that when she walks into a space, she carries that with her. It's, it's, I'm giving you what you need. I'm giving you what you need to make it through And I know it's it might sound corny and old-timey, but I think that if we turn to that, and it's not just in the immediate families, because everyone's family structure is different, but I guarantee you in addition to those stories from my immediate family, though there were people looking out for me in other places, other places, and that's a part of the story that gives me my armor my, oh, yeah, my little yeah. thing that I need. And that
0: agency too, to challenge what it is that you're hearing.
2: Or, oh, definitely. Right?
0: So definitely. You know, do you encourage um, our students and our parents to challenge curriculum in the classroom? And
2: I have, think what's challenging is, is, say it again.
0: And what's the best way to go about challenging um curriculum when you find it to be um, full of omissions or full of half truths or full of stereotypes, you know, how do we challenge that as parents and students? What's the best way to go about it? If so, you're how would you want, how would you want a parent or a student to come to you and say, you know, Dr. Effinger Critchlow, I, I, I don't know if I agree with that, or why didn't we talk about um this you know in, in an effort to bring some context to the text
2: i think just what you said i think that you know I, because i don't believe educators know every single <laughs>
0: everything but ego um, does get in the way, especially if you've been teaching a class for for a long time and in a particular way, right? I think I I've, I've had my daughter come to a teacher to say something, and they were they were rather offended and put the onus on her to make up the difference. And she's like, "Listen, I'm the student. I'm just letting you know my experience." You know, particularly
2: at that age, yeah. yeah. particular Particularly at, at at that age, I think that part of it is, um, it's the conversation, and that that. The educator, so if someone comes to me um in a respectful manner, you know what well, we didn't word. get to, that's the case yes, in a respectful manner um, and they're going to ask you know questions. I'm open to that. I hope I have been open
0: you know, when I think about independent school education, uh, I want families to know that it's you know, you have a school with a, an amazing physical plant, tons of resources, world class education, world class teachers. You would think, oh, I just write the check and we're good. Uh, you know, there's more work involved
2: in the space mm-hmm. like that. And it's of- also, I mean, and there are ways to to be to be involved. And these are our precious, these are our precious gifts. Our children are our precious gifts, and so. I think that we're constantly trying to figure out did I ask the right question? Did I did I ask her the right question? <laughs> did I, you know, am I making the right choices and you and I both know we're we're as parents, we're works in progress. But I think that if we understand that this work is going to hopefully carry them you know, far beyond this moment, then you're like, okay, all right. But I recognize that I'm not going to have all the answers for her. But I also recognize that school is not going to have all the answers. I think it's
0: also about building relationships too. When we build relationships, we can confront these challenges around curriculum in a way that, says, you know, this is this is community work, right? Um, if I don't know an educator and, and piece of work comes home and I'm steamed and I'm pissed off about it, you know, my approach to this teacher and I have not developed a relationship will be somewhat adversarial. But I believe if I have a relationship with the teacher and say, hey, listen, mm-hmm. I have had a problem with this, then we can really, the egos kind of move out of the way. And because we have a relationship, we know that this is based on community that, work the the remedy will come about more readily if we have relationships Uh, yeah that's that's the hope that yeah that (laughs) That is the hope that is the hope but i want to talk a little bit about little sally walker your passion project that is separate from your work as as an educator as a yes. Tell us, because I think there's a lot of curriculum built into that, you know, when we talk about how our plays transcend um, into like literature in the classroom. Um, Oh, definitely. Where do you see Sally Walker
2: going and tell us a little bit about it. Thank you, Gina. So it's a feature length documentary that I have been working on, uh, oh gosh, since uh, for a few years now. Um, and it tells the story of how black women across the generations, um, survived life in America through childhood play. And, um, it's set New York, Alabama, California, and, uh, Washington state. And so I filmed all of these women and girls from different walks of life. The youngest is I think now two years old and the oldest woman I hope is um, she celebrated a birthday recently I think she's about in her mid 90s and so these these women and girls have been sharing their personal stories with us um, about play and I'm talking about Double Dutch and Jacks and how play this world of your own making is um, is a way that you have it you've survived in in America and so it's a film with uh, largely uh, black and black women uh, and men and people of color working on the crew and uh, and and supporting the project. And so, um, yeah, it's it is my passion project. It is a labor of love, and um, you know it has an impact campaign. And and when I say that, it means that. Um, before the film is finished and after the film is finished, we'll be um, going into communities uh, and we've continued to partner with individuals um, to inspire and hopefully continue to um, promote, you know, play. I mean, that is, we, as adults, something goes off in our heads and it says, oh, oh, that's over. So, you know, I believe that the personal narratives are the things that really help me to understand life. Gina, can I add one more thing? I know we're sure. over time. Yeah, no. But, no. There, there, you know, years back, I, I went out to the Bay Area and I interviewed Black female migrants who, who left the South and worked in the Kaiser shipyards. You know, since you're talking about the 1940s, worked in the Kaiser shipyards and built the ships. Where that were used? Where, so where are the Kaiser shipyards again? Where are they? in in the Richmond area. So when you think about Rosie the Riveter, the image of Rosie the Riveter is often thought of as a white woman. But the reality is black women were a part of that, a part of that. Most of those women have passed away now. Um, but I went out to the Bay Area. You know, it's part of um, Staging Migrations, um, the book Staging Migrations, but those women told me in their living rooms, in their kitchens or in their front porches, their stories about how they were a part of the World War II defense industry. And so, you know, I hope you don't mind that as we recognize the Tuskegee Airmen, we also recognize those Black women who were on... The work, the, the, the defense industry lines, making it possible for those Tuskegee
0: Airmen to fly.
2: Yeah, yeah, and but it's all over <laughs> Once the country. Again, black women are saving the day. We are all we are. You at know, the, but hmm. we do, You know, usually when you see Rosa Rimeter with her mm-hmm. fist up and we did it. The the point is, there were other yeah. others also on that line, and so recognizing those black women who are no longer here, recognizes those Tuskegee Airmen who are no longer here. We just need to continue to pay homage to them.
0: Yes, yeah, there's so much of our history. And so I think in closing, three things that I'm taking away is that as first educators, black and brown parents have got to tell their stories. They must share their stories with their students about the Black experience, their experience, so that when two students are in the classroom, they are able to, they walk in with armor and they're able to also challenge stories that do not ring true, do not represent um, their family's experience. And then three parents, uh, need to build relationships, need to know what's going on in the classroom so that they can, um, also challenge what their students are learning, what they're learning, what they're not learning and offer different canons and texts and experiences mm. so that, um, our schools can, you know, they're great schools, but they can do a better job.
2: hmm hmm yeah. And just because something's in the canon, doesn't mean say it doesn't mean that it should remain there um, doesn't mean it shouldn't be replaced by something else so
0: amen amen and I've seen parents do that so you have this text and you're trying to reach this goal uh you can use this same text that has much more representation to get to the same end goal so the parents we have to keep having voice and visibility in our independent schools. And we just want to thank you, Marta. It's been a lot of fun, <laughs> I thank you for so much of the work that you're doing. We cannot wait for little Sally Walker to come out so that we can add this text of Black girl, Black woman play into, um, into our work, because I think when we're taken care of, when we take care of ourselves, we take care of the world.
2: Oh, I love that, yes.
0: Yeah, we're better able to take care of the world because that's, that's just what we do. That's just what exactly.
2: we do. Exactly, exactly.
0: As we begin to develop this, this curriculum workshop, I'll touch back with you and, and get some advice and tips as we roll that out because I, it's going to be a workshop format where all three stakeholders, educators, parents, and students, Black and Brown, um, and some white educators will be in a space to talk about how we can um, better craft curriculum Causing no harm. Yes. And we will be back in touch with you soon. So thank you for being a part of Articulating. I appreciate it.
2: Congratulations.
0: You know, Dr. Effinger Critchlow was such a delight to listen to. She is clearly very passionate about teaching these materials. It's almost part of her identity. I'll be honest with you, Sam. As I was listening to this episode, it made me think of every Black and Brown child that doesn't have an educator like this. Could you imagine what it would be like uh, to be introduced to August Wilson or Toni Morrison by a teacher that actually considers your identity and the sensitivity around the subject matter?
1: Gina, at this moment, I struggle to. Um, like we mentioned in the beginning, the origins behind this episode stemmed from an article in the New York Times about an indie school student of color who got expelled after his mother repeatedly complained about the school's lack of curricular responsibility. Of course, we only know the details that the article shared, But we do know there was an ideal scenario where the students at this school could have studied fences safely and responsibly, including the young scholar who was expelled. But that can only happen if all the stakeholders are equipped with the knowledge and skill set to advocate for curricular responsibility.
0: Yeah, this is something that is really important to the work with RISE that I do. And we invite listeners to continue this conversation with us through an upcoming independent school workshop, Cause No Harm, Curricular Concerns, and How to Cure It. It's happening on Saturday, April 10th. For more information, please visit 4rise.org. That is the number 4, R-I-I-S-E.org. I'd like to close this episode with this quote. In education, nothing is neutral when it comes to race. Lesson plans, ed tech tools, and learning environments either create more equity among students of different races or more inequity. Ibram X. Kendi. So thank you so much for listening. We'll see you soon.
1: Bye.